are you? Great. Who said that? I'm great, Lander. Thank you. It's a beautiful day. The week after Easter, we are starting a new series today. Um, I think they're working on my mic, so is it okay if I just continue? You guys can walk with that. Okay, we'll roll. Um, they're working on my mic, but we're beginning a new series today called Famous at Home. I don't know if we can roll with that or not. Testing one, testing two, check, check. Does it sound weird out there to you or just up here? Check. One, two, test. Test. Good job. They gave me my wife's mic. I don't know what that's about. Um, we're beginning a new series called Famous at Home. And I'm just excited about that. I've always been an advocate for home life. I think too many times we get comfortable separating church and home as if they're two separate identities. And I just believe that God should infiltrate every area of our life. It's not these little boxes that we set up on the shelf and, oh, on Sundays we pull out that box and we just participate in church. And then on Monday it's, it's career. And then maybe on Friday night it's marriage and family. I think, I think God just flows and weaves through every area of our life. So I have, I have some stuff to share with you in this series. It's going to be a fantastic series. It is based on a book called Famous at Home. I'm using that as a launching point for my material. Um, however, I'm bringing to the table kind of some of my own experiences and stories and thoughts on the matter as well, just to hopefully give us a well-rounded look at being famous at home. Did you know that the greatest red carpet you will ever walk begins at your front door? I really believe that. I believe that you and I have the potential to be super famous at home, and I want to help you with that. Before I do, though, I want to take a poll. Let's take a poll. There's no raise of hand. You don't have to tell your neighbor. You don't have to write this down for your spouse or your kids to find. I just want you to take this uh, little quiz, and number one through ten, how healthy is your home? Ten being the most healthy, like you are the best example for the entire planet. One is you are on the edge of murder, One through 10, how healthy is your home? I want you to go ahead and lock in that number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Do I have any 10s in the room? No. I was going to invite you to platform for an interview. Do I have any? I'm not going to ask if I have any ones because I don't want to be accountable for anything that happens over the next seven days in your home. Uh, but I will tell you, no matter where you are, I can get you, Jesus can get you, and you can get you to the next number up. So if you're a three, don't focus on becoming a 10. We're not getting you to a 10 this week. That's not your goal. If you're a five, don't, don't moan and complain that you're not a 10. We don't care to get you to a 10 this week, all right? And there is no guilt and shame in the number that you have in your mind right now. If you're a two, two and a half, three, four. Our goal is only to take the next step forward. Next steps are way easier than all the steps. 
So can we just agree today just to do the next step? So how many of you, a number aside, would, would just say, and raise your hand on this one, for the most part, you think your family is healthy. For the most part. Okay. Oh, goodness. Okay. Great. For the most part, you think your family is healthy. My question is, how do you know? How do you know if your family is healthy? How do you know if your spouse or your kids are happy? Did you ask them? Or are you just assuming because everything looks good on the outside that everybody's happy? Are you just assuming because everyone's getting to school on time, homework's getting turned in, dinner's getting on the table, people are waking up, there's no glaringly, obviously, destruction in your home that everybody said? Are we just assuming that, or did you ask them? No, the family's fine, the bills are getting paid. The family's fine, we haven't had any arguments. The kids are doing well in school. How do we actually even know if our home is a safe place? Are we asking the people that we love? Now, there may be some of us in the room today, you think your home is healthy because you're getting everything you want. <laughs> you're not a family first person, you're a me first person. And it just happens to be that the home life, your, your family life is the area that you can control the most. So you feel like it's the most healthy thing in your life and career is spinning out of control because you don't get your way. But once you walk into the front door of your home, suddenly your control kicks in and you get everything you want. So yeah, everybody's happy. Being family first means you can't be me first. So today we're going to just kind of, I don't know, pop the hood on this old Chevy and see what's going on, see what the belts are doing, see what the levels are at. Let's do a little tune-up on our homes. Can we do that? Please stand with me today in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love let me say that again whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a what a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for our time together. I ask that in the remaining 20 minutes we have together that the Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts. God, that you would let us pull truths from your scripture, that you would move our families in the right direction, help our families, our relationships, our connections, our, our divine appointments to go one level higher. God, if we're a four, give us the grace to become a five today. If we're a six, give us the grace to become a seven today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, why don't you high five somebody, fist bump, hug somebody, meet somebody new, and then you may be seated.
when we adopted Jordan, Tristan, and Addison 12 years ago, um, overnight we had things come into our home that Carrie and I just weren't, weren't sure how to deal with. Um, we, we decided to adopt the three kids because we thought, oh, we're amazing parents. I mean, we, we have raised... I think Michaela was maybe 12 at the time. Micah was 14. And uh, we look at this, these two wonderful, like amazing citizens, lovers of God. The, the, these kids are just wonderful. Talking about Mike and Michaela, Carrie and I really must know what we're doing. So let's spread the love and bring in more. And we didn't choose to bring in one child or, or two. We brought in three, uh, which I don't advise uh, to most people that I talk about. I suggest incremental change, but God knew what he was doing. He really did. Uh, in the first, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but in the first several years of the church, the church was flourishing and thriving and growing, and it was amazing, and like there was just a grace poured out on the church. I think that God had really covered the church because our family was in crisis. We were learning one another, and it wasn't just hard for Carrie and I, and our ego our ego took a big hit. We learned that we really don't know what we're doing. Uh, we really don't know how to parent kids that have come through trauma. We know how to parent kids that we had from day one. But the game changes when kids have trauma, and, and, and you get a hand and delta hand that you didn't expect, and then you, what do you do from there? We didn't know. And so, of course, our, our ego took a hit, but we weren't the only ones that were struggling in those years. Addison, Jordan, and Tristan also had to leave everything that they knew and join this family where they're pastors and they have to go to church all the time. And we had to tell our four-year-old Tristan at the time, no, you can't cuss out your brother, especially not in church. I mean, and he was using the $10 curse words at four years old. So we had to teach him uh, what the proper language was for a four-year-old and a believer. And um, they, had, they, <laughs> they had to learn things too, but there was one thing um, that Jordan had to deal with, and I think to this day he still has the remnants of that, uh, so much so that he's going to get, he talked about getting a tattoo, right, of 2 Timothy 1.7. What is that? For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, what you may not know about Jordan, because Jordan is, is good looking, he's got a beautiful smile. Unfortunately, I don't think there were any single girls <laughs> shouting for that. But you got a lot of people that are believing in you, son. They're coming. You know, he's six two. He's he's bright. He's he's just so brilliant. You would never suspect that Jordan struggles with fear, uh, but he does, and he's come a long way, right? He's he's not scared of the dark necessarily. He's not scared of, you know, he's overcome so much. But when he first came to us at the age of seven, he was terrified of anything and everything. He was terrified that we weren't going to feed him three meals a day. So he would, he would take food from the pantry and sneak it up into his bedroom and hide it. And I would find wrappers and food and molded stuff and all kinds of things growing in his bedroom because he was just terrified. He couldn't trust that we were going to feed him three meals a day. Um, he may still have the fear that he's not going to get enough food, but that's not from us. That's just he likes food. 
Um, but I remember when, when Jordan came, we were living in College Station for the first three months of their life. Addison, you may remember this. You were 11 years old. And Carrie and I were youth pastors, and we're sitting there with our kids and learning them and talking to them, telling them this is a safe place. And, and Jordan had, had so much fear because when he was living at home with his biological family and around uncles, uh, they would constantly yell at him and tell him to go take a shower. And if he didn't get up fast enough, they would release the dogs on him. And the dogs would take off running, growling, barking at, at Jordan. And he, Jordan was scared and terrified, and he would take off into the shower. So he had a fear of showering. He had a fear of dogs, all of that combined. But we're sitting in the living room, and we're just loving on the kids. We're a new family. We're so excited. And all out of nowhere, there is a rap at the door, like a massive bang. It, you would think that the door was going to come off the hinges, like someone is breaking in, and it's super loud, and, and everyone jumps, and our kids immediately start screaming and crying, terrified. Now, I don't know what they had experienced before that that would be a trigger for them, but they were terrified. So me, being the man that I am, stand up, and I ask Carrie if she wants to check to see <laughs> while I comfort the kids. And she says that I can, which I was glad. I wanted the opportunity. <laughs> so I walk to the front door, and I open it, and there's no one out there. There's no one out there, and I'm getting, I'm getting mad. I sit back down, and we're comforting the kids, and it happens again. And the kids start screaming and crying. And by this time, by this time, Brian, I'm, I'm just mad. Like, not a righteous anger. Do you know what I mean? I'm ticked. And so I stand up, and I march to the door, and I open it, and I notice a truck that's backing down the road and uh, with their lights facing our house, and it's backing up. And so I start walking to the truck, because I'm going to see who just did this to my car. And I'm barefoot, and I'm walking. Ryan, picture this. Man, I'm like in my 20s. I don't have any gray hair. I've got muscles, and I'm walking to the truck. And the truck starts speeding backwards, and it sped backwards about three blocks, three and a half blocks, and I'm running full force after this truck barefoot because I am, Ramona, going to take them down. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do with the truck once I catch it, but I need to know who is, who is terrifying my babies. And so the truck is going backwards, and then they spin the corner. Well, I know they can't get out of my neighborhood, so I'm just running as fast as I can. I finally make it to the truck. I, I can't see them because of the lights. I come to the front door to see who's there. They roll down the window, and it's my boss's sons, my pastor's sons, and they're dying laughing. I pull my fist back, and I tap the thing, don't say a word, and I walk forward because they're really just playing. They don't mean anything by it at all. They're just being teenagers. But I knew that we were tapping into something in his heart that was going to be really difficult to uproot. The trauma that people face and experience when they're younger and then the triggers that come back, it just further plants the trauma deeper down. And the fear was so very deep. Now, I talk about fear this morning because fear is a characteristic, characteristic of dysfunctional homes. So all of us that are wondering how healthy our home is, take inventory of the fear. How much fear is there in your living room, in your kitchen, in your dining room, in your bedroom? Fear of failure, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, 
fear of not measuring up, fear of not being seen, not being heard, fear of not being valued, fear that there's not going to be enough. We understand from our text that perfect love casts out all fear. So if there's fear in our home, there's not perfect love in our home. So the presence of fear signifies that our home is dysfunctional. And if I want to be famous at home, I've got to be a fear finder. I've got to get on my kids' level, look into their hearts, and figure out where the fear is and help them pass that, give the, give the love of Christ the opportunity to cast out the fear because I want my home to be healthy. Home should be a safe place. We would always tell our kids, Micah and Michaela, growing up, I, I made reference like they were perfect kids, but they weren't really perfect. No kids are perfect. But, you know, we had adjusted to their inadequacies. One of their inadequacies was they argued a lot, mostly Micah. Micah would pick on Michaela. Michaela would pick back, but she wouldn't get caught. Only Micah would get caught because he didn't know how to be sneaky. So Michaela was a sneaky sibling. Micah wasn't. And so he always felt like he got in trouble most. And I told him, if you would just pick on people smarter, you wouldn't get in trouble. So Michaela didn't get in a lot of trouble because she was a little more uh, sneaky with it. But Micah would always you know, kind of pick. And I told Micah and Michaela this. I said, guys, listen, you're going to go out to the schoolyard. You're going to grow up and go to college maybe. And you're going to go find a job and you're going to have a family. And guess what? The world out there is going to try to tear you down. Everyone you encounter out there in the grocery store, on the playground, on the college campus, whatever, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, there is this constant battle of being torn down. But the moment you walk in that front door, you should know that home is a safe place. This is the one place you can count on being built back up. Home should be a safe place place. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head he could have said the Son of Man has nowhere to go to sleep. He could have said the, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his feet. He could have said the Son of Man has nowhere to take a shower. But no, he said foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And your mind doesn't rest when your home is insecure. That's a principle we need to gather today. Your mind can't rest when your home isn't secure. And a lot of people use their work, their profession, their successes, their accomplishments. They, they become a workaholic and stay at work from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. and then just come home to wave to the spouse and to the kids. And, and they put all of their significance and their energy in who they are becoming in, in the work sense. They become a workaholic and... Maybe you're not a workaholic. Maybe you're a church addict. Maybe you put all of your identity in church. You come every time the doors are open. You serve on 15,000 teams. If there's something to go and do, you're down for it. You put all of your energy because you want to be known as the church person. 
church is good. It's right. The vast majority of us need to be more committed to church, not less. But when you put your identity in what you do for an organization or the body of Christ, rather than who God has made you to be, that's where it becomes the problem. Your home has to be secure. Foxes, whenever they sense danger, something's chasing them, maybe the weather's bad, they go running into their holes. They've already dug it out. Michael, they've, they've got the, the den the way they want it. And when trouble comes, they run into their hole. That's the grounding. That's where they just feel secure. So then whatever danger is coming has to find them in their safe place before it can get to the fox. And birds of the air, they have nests. The bird getting chased by their prey. Maybe a storm is blowing in. Maybe there's lightning and wind. And the birds are like, Let's, I, I don't want to hang out here anymore. Let's get to the nest. And the bird is probably uh, a little concerned about circumstances, but it understands one thing. It built the nest. It knows how strong it is. The bird says, my nest is solid. It's secure. I built it. I, I built this nest. I worked on this nest. Now, to everyone out there who would say, but Pastor, I, I don't think you understand. You're talking about solid homes Strong homes, healthy homes, but you don't know my circumstance. You're talking about the fox who has a hole and the bird that has a nest, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know who I live with. You don't know my past. Now, I, I hear you. Everyone is different. All of our circumstances are different, but you don't understand that nest must be built from broken branches. That's how a nest is built. Rather than focusing on the broken branches around you, some of us need to pick up some broken branches and start building a nest. Home is one of the gifts that God has given you and I to find respite from the world, to find a reprieve from all of the, the stuff that's going on out there. So it looks like your home might be broken, but maybe it's just a branch that you need to pick up. If you can build a whole nest from broken branches, you can build a whole home from broken people. It's got to be built. The nest has to be built. That's the problem, though. We want a prefab home. We just want to put it on the hitch, pull it up where we want it with the scenery and the view, and then just nail in a few pictures, don't we? We don't want to build the home. We just want to, we want a turnkey home where we can just walk in and it's already furnished but a healthy home, a happy home, requires that it be built. Many of the problems today with young people, which, by the way, can I just say that I think the youngest generation is the greatest generation of all time. Thank you, two people. Some people say that the youngest generation, what is wrong with these kids? They're the worst ever. I, I think this is the greatest generation. The, young, the younger kids are the greatest generation that the planet Earth has ever seen before. They have so much potential inside of them. The problem is that we, as the parents, we don't want to build kids. We expect the church to build our kids. We expect the school system to build our kids. We expect Xbox to build our kids. We expect Instagram to build our kids. We expect all the technology to do what God intended for us to do. And listen, if we have kids, we've got to build them. They look broken. I get it. It's messy. 
We don't want to build the kid. We want to scream at the kid. We want to beat the child. We want to medicate the child. We want to punish the child, threaten the child, set the dogs loose after the child. That's what we want to do with children. But listen, if we want healthy kids, we've got to build the kids. Kids aren't the only ones broken. Sitting in this room today are broken husbands, broken wives, broken children, broken grandparents, broken nieces, nephews, brothers, and sisters. In fact, let's just take a moment and look around at all the beautiful people in this room. Go ahead. Don't be shy. Look around. Everyone's looking so nice. I I see good-looking men, good-looking women sitting around. Go ahead. Look around. Some of you are nervous to look around. Just take it all in at the beauty that is sitting in this room. Not smelling so good. Looking good. Smiles are beautiful. Yet everything you see in this room is cracked. Everything you see in this room is broken. The only reason you don't see it when you looked around is because you didn't get close enough to see the cracks. But once you get close enough to the person, you see the brokenness in their humanity. And we're so busy trying to hide our brokenness that we don't understand it's through our brokenness that something beautiful is created. It's through the the shards of glass that the creator can pick up our brokenness and mold it into something beautiful, place it into something beautiful so that at the end of our life, and oftentimes even in the middle, we can take a step back and see just how far we've come. If you want to be famous in your home, you've got to learn to embrace the brokenness, not sweep the broken glass under the rug, not pretend that it doesn't exist, not Pretend that we're not broken. We're all broken. In some fashion or form, we are all dysfunctional. And there's no shame in being dysfunctional. I know I've heard some of my kids talk about, well, when I was growing up, mom and dad did this. And it almost sounded like an indictment on my parenting, but I know that it's not. They're just finding that their their floor is my ceiling. They're learning from the areas that, that I wasn't good at. So it's okay to admit that we're dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional. I mean, consider for a moment that I'm one flavor of dysfunction, and then I marry a woman who's another flavor of dysfunction, and then we have five kids with their own flavors of dysfunction. We've got a whole Baskin-Robbins going on in our home. And so we just learn to navigate the dysfunction and work through it and allow God to change us and to mold us and present us as a work of art and a masterpiece, and understand that being famous at home doesn't equal being perfect at home. We just allow our space to be human. Michaela, I think Michaela and Lawrence and Carrie and my grandson Luca are watching online today. Uh, Luca, I pray that you accept Jesus today, son, at the two months that He's been falling asleep during my sermon, so if he, if he stays awake at the end, Lawrence, just lift up his hand. We're going to get that kid saved. 
and you guys can baptize him with some dawn this afternoon. Michaela said uh, a few weeks ago, I was really prepared for childbirth. I was, she, she was doing this natural childbirth thing, no medication, and uh, just really prepared her mind, her body, her emotions to go through that process, and she was really prepared for it. And, and then Luca was born tongue-tied, and he got that from me. That's one of the traits, Leander, that I passed on proudly to all my kids, being tongue-tied. I was tongue-tied and couldn't pronounce my R's as a kid. It was great. And, <laughs> and uh, my parents got that fixed when I was about 9 or 10 or 8 or 15. I don't recall, but it was fixed. Luca was born with a tongue-tie, and they, it was much worse than mine. And so over the last two months, they've had to do these exercises. They had surgery, and then they had to go in and press on the womb. Womb wound and stretched the tongue so the the incisions that had been made it was trying to heal trying to scab trying to get better and multiple times a day every four hours ish they would have to go in and just pull that tongue apart and Luca would scream and Michaela would cry and it was really tough and really hard and they're over that now now they're doing something else Michaela just had surgery uh, this week for some issues that she's having and Carrie and I, Carrie's actually still there helping. And uh, I did, got back yesterday from helping. I'll talk about that in a second. But Michaela said to me, Dad, I was really prepared for childbirth, but I wasn't prepared for all this after. No one told me it was going to be like this. When does it stop getting hard? That's exactly what I said. I said, <laughs> my, my oldest is 27, so maybe at 30, Maybe my my dad and mom is like no. I I'm 48. Uh, my my older sister is 50. I feel like oh I'm sorry. I'm not gonna tell you who my older sister is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if my parents have problems with Sherry because my parents believe in the tight. Loose lips sink ships. So I like to pretend that Sherry's the wild child, but my guess is I am. And uh, so I know at the age of 48, I still try my parents. So I told Michaela, maybe, maybe it's 49. I don't know at what point it gets easier, at what point it's not hard. But here's what I do know. Um, being famous at home means we just keep continuing to show up in the hard moments of life. That's why Carrie's there and why I was there this week. It wasn't for vacation. I didn't get to go have wings on Music Row. Uh, I didn't get to do any of the attractions. I spent three full days in the hospital. And Luca is crying nonstop because of an upset stomach. And the only thing that makes him stop crying is if you hold him like this. And you do this. Now he's 15, 20 pounds. And it's no big deal at first, Michael. You could handle it. But Jordan, I put you on a, on a cycle of that. And it starts to burn after about 60 seconds. Um, and that's the, for three days, we're just doing this. 
with Luca because we're in the hospital and we don't want him to cry and Michaela's having surgery and no one's getting sleep and we're all arguing over, is it really milk? We don't know. Is it chocolate milk? Is it strawberry milk? What are these people bringing to us in the room? We don't know. You know, the, the tension is all time high, but to be famous at home is you just keep showing up. So that's why I drove from Austin, Texas to Nashville Sunday Easter right after service driving nonstop to get there. Kate got in around 3, I think at 3 a.m. I finally pulled over and took a nap and then rolled in at 7 a.m. because I want to still be famous at home. And I get that Michaela and Lawrence don't live with me, but they're my family. And I want to be famous at home. And that means I show up when life is difficult, I'm there. I don't run away from the hard times. I don't run away because you're broken. I don't run away because you're afraid. I don't run away because there are attitude issues. I don't run away because of addiction. I'm stuck. I'm planted. I'm here. I want to be famous at home. We're all broken. We might as well just admit it. And God help you if you don't think you're broken. God help you if you don't see your weakness, if you don't see your own laziness, if you don't see your own anger, if you don't see your own pride. There's one woman who said, do you know who I am? I am a prophetess. And I said, well, you know what your husband says? Your husband says you need to prophet clean and prophet cook. She's so wrapped up in the title of who she is that she doesn't see she's not being what she needs to be for her family. Do you know what I mean? It's time for us to take an inner look at who we really are and how we're showing up for our family. Who showed up for you? One of the grandest lies in our culture is that there's such thing as a self-made anything. Self-made millionaire, self-made man. Nobody is self-made anything. At some point in the history of your story, somebody showed up for you. And it may not have been a parent. It may not have been a, a sibling. It may not have been a grandparent. It may have been a coworker. It may have been a boss. It may have been a teacher or a professor. Who showed up for you? Now, I want you to take a moment, because I'm out of time. I want you to take a moment and ask yourself, that person that showed up for you, maybe it was a grandmother who always welcomed you in, overlooked your flaws, set you at the table, fed you food nonstop, even if you weren't hungry. Who showed up for you? I want you to just kind of plant that person in your mind and imagine how would that person introduce you? What would they say about you? Oftentimes, we don't show up for other people because we can't remember who showed up for us. We feel like we made it all happen ourselves, so everyone else should make it happen for themselves. That's where strength comes from. That's where self-sufficiency comes from. That's where independence comes from. But the truth is, someone showed up for you, and you're not showing up for others because you've forgotten who showed up for you. So who showed up for you? Now, what it means to be famous in our home is much different than what it means to be famous in culture. To be famous 
in culture takes a skill maybe or a talent or if you have no skill or talent like the Kardashians it just takes influence I'm sorry that was wrong you can actually be famous now for nothing you really can but there are so many people out searching for the red carpet in the world wanting people to celebrate them wanting to entertain others. But the relationship we have with the famous people of the world as we scroll through TikTok or we watch the videos, the relationship is one-sided. Those people are not going to come to your hospital room when you're sick. They're not gonna send cards, they're not gonna send flowers. They are famous, but they're not in relationship with you. And so we can't get confused and think that being famous at home means all of our connections know us or we have influence with them. It's more about being known and being seen and going in deep. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you pick up the broken branches, the broken pieces, accept the brokenness, be okay with it, and understand that God wants to use the brokenness to build a nest. And we're gonna build a nest together. But before we do, before we come back next week, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Number one, am I willing? Am I willing to put in the work to build a healthy home? In John chapter 5, there was a story of a man who couldn't walk, and he was laying by the pool, and Jesus walked up to him and said, do you want to be well? And it seems a little funny because you would think after 38 years of laying by the pool, that's a dumb question. Of course he wants to be well. But the truth is many of us are, have partnered so much with our dysfunction that we're not even trying to get out of the dysfunction. We've befriended our dysfunction and, and courted and dated our dysfunction so much that the thought of freedom seems scary. Do you want to be well? Are you willing? Number two, are you willing to give up blame? According to Dr. David Burns, a cognitive behavioral therapist, his research suggests that the key to a healthy, growing marital relationship came down to one big factor. One. And by the way, this isn't just for the marriage. This is for any relationship that you experience. It comes down to one big factor. How you feel in a relationship depends entirely on your own attitude. I'm going to let that sting for a moment because I know that that hurts. It's not the attitude of your spouse. It's not the behavior of your spouse. It's not the decisions of your spouse or your kids. It's your attitude on the matter. And here's something else that may surprise you. Giving up blame so we can just stop blaming our spouse or blaming our kids, blaming the other person we can also stop blaming ourselves. 
If blame doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for us either. So am I willing to let go of the blame? Here's the second question I want you to ask. What am I fighting for? If I want to build a nest, I want to build a healthy home, I want the end of my life to look something similar to a beautiful stained glass in a cathedral, what am I fighting for? Oftentimes when we're interacting with people in our home and we feel like they come against us or they come at us, however you want to phrase it, we feel like they're not fighting for the thing that we're fighting for. So if they're not for us, they are clearly against us. And then the people in our home become our enemy. Can I just, can I just let us all know the people in our home, they're not our enemy. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. What are we fighting we're going to name our opponent because your opponent is not named Jason. Your opponent is not named Michael. Your opponent is not named Addison. Your opponent is not, not named Pedro. Your opponent, I, I could use some women's names now, I guess. Your opponent is not named Jennifer. Your opponent is not named Crystal, right? The opponent is not the person in our home. There is a different opponent. So we have to define who our opponent is is. We're going to talk about that in the next coming weeks. And we're going to talk about our dance. Our dance. How we interact with our spouse, with our kids, with the people in our home. By the way, uh, this, isn't, this isn't a marriage seminar. This is a relationship talk. Because how you treat your kids and your wife impacts how you treat your boss and your co-workers. We're going to talk about the dance. Some of us in our dance, we use sarcasm. That's become the steps of our connection. We use blame. We use self-blame. We use defensiveness, passive aggression. I can't stand passive aggression. I think that's evil, not evil. I take that back. I actively take back that passive aggression is evil, but I hate it. Problem solving. You know, we the dance of anytime there's a problem rather than listening, we just jump right to the solution and we want everyone to get on board with the solution. That's a way that we typically can dance. Diversion, bringing up unrelated issues. You ever had to try to talk to someone in your home about a problem and before you can even get the problem out, they're diverting your attention to something else. Oh, but and this, no, stop, stop pointing at your family members right now because we're wanting to help families, Tracy, help families. Labeling, name calling, these are all dance tactics, put downs, counterattacks, mind reading, where you expect someone in your home to know what you're thinking rather than just openly communicating. These are all dance tactics. I love when people nod their head. They've got so much experience with this. Denial, denial, pretending the problem or your feelings about a problem doesn't exist. We have a lot of people in denial and then hopelessness, insisting there's nothing else you can do. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Will you stand to your feet? I'm going to leave you with the third question today. The first question you're going to ask yourself this week is, am I willing? The second question you're going to ask yourself is, what am I fighting for? The third question you're going to ask yourself this week is, who am I becoming.
who am I becoming? Our children will become byproducts of how we manage our own emotions, how we treat ourselves, and how we engage the world around us, including how we treat a barista, how we treat, amen, how we treat a server at a restaurant, how we treat the person that delivers your mail, how we treat your child's teachers or the coworker, how we treat the other parent if you were in a divorced situation, separated situation. In short, our children become who we are. If our children become who we are, the question we need to be asking right now is who am I becoming? We sometimes want to just focus on parenting skills and strategies and we put all the attention on this thing that might work and might help little Johnny or little Susie. But rather than all the parenting skills, ask yourself, who am I becoming? Because that's going to be the key thing that navigates the course of your child's life in the coming years. As we close today, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. You may feel really insignificant in your home right now. You may feel overlooked, undervalued, insignificant. And I specifically want to pray for you today. If that's you, if you just need to feel encouraged by God in your home situation, will you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for all over the room today? Yeah. So many of us. You can put the hands down. Maybe maybe your family's with you and you feel uncomfortable lifting your hand right now. So just inside your heart, inside your mind, just say, that's me. That's me, God. I need that. Father, I just pray over every home that is represented here today. God, we don't feel famous in our home. We feel insignificant. We feel not valued, not seen, not heard. But God, you have so much more for us. Your plans are great. John 10.10 10 says that Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. And so God, I just ask that you would release in our homes a new passion, a new desire to be famous at home, a new opportunity to be all that you've called us to be to those that we love and those that love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Next week, we're going to talk about the seven decisions you can make to put your family center stage as you become famous in your home. We love you guys. Thank you for being here today. We will see you next week, 10.30 a.m. or this Wednesday at 6.30 a.m. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.